Okay, good afternoon, everyone. This is Judge Lopez. Today is November 14th. I'm going to call the 2 p.m. case 2290341. Of course, scientific here on a disclosure statement hearing and a backstop commitment motion. So let me go ahead and just briefly take appearances. Uh, Mr. Perez. Your, Your Honor, Alfredo Perez on behalf of the debtors. Okay. Anyone else wish to make an appearance? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Kieran Bakamudi from Midson Elkins, appearing on behalf of the Equity Committee. I'm okay. Going to David Meyer Partners, David Meyer and Paul Heath as well in the courtroom. Okay. Good afternoon. Anyone else in the courtroom? Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, I'm John Zinatola of Choate Hall and Stewart on behalf of B. Riley Financial. Okay. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Brian Lowen on behalf of uh, Barings, one of the equipment lenders. Oh, good afternoon. Okay. I'm going to unmute a few lines here. Is a 917 number? Yes, Your Honor. Philip Kim, Rosenwalford, Ford, lead plaintiff, Rosenwalford. Mr. Kim, you're a little bit low. Can I? I didn't get a chance to hear you too well. Ah, oh, perfect. Good afternoon. Here's a 202 number. Good afternoon. Good. Hold on. I think I double. I gave you the double hit. Not intentional. Good afternoon. That's that's okay. You're always playing games with me. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Jason Ruff on behalf of the United States Trustee's Office. Good afternoon. Here's a 212 number. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Chris Hansen with Paul Hastings on behalf of the Ad Hoc Committee of Convertible Note Holders. Good afternoon. Alrighty. Uh, Mr. Perez, why don't you tell me where we are? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, with the court's indulgence, if we could have uh, one more hour, come back at 3 o'clock. I think uh, everyone's back at the office trying to work through the various issues, and hopefully we will, at a minimum, have narrowed the issues before we come back. Okay. So with the court's indulgence, uh, one hour would be great. Okay. Um, for the lines that are unmuted, I will keep you unmuted. Uh, and then we'll just, I'll step off and I'll come back at 3 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Hey, good afternoon. Ronit Berkovich from Wild Gottschall for the debtor, Core Scientific. Um, with me uh, from Wild, we have Mr. Perez and Mr. Carlson. Um, Mr. Schrock is also on the video. Okay. We have our financial advisor from PJT, um, John Singh. And then we have um, from Core, Adam Sullivan, who's the CEO, and Mike Rose, who's the senior VP of Capital Markets. Um, Your Honor, we're here today on the debtor's disclosure statement motion at docket 1384 and the backstop motion at docket 1383. Um, Your Honor, I was hoping to tell you that the documents were signed up in the last hour between when the hearing was supposed to start and now. Um, where we are is we're 99.99% of the way done um, with the RSA parties and the backstop parties. 
there's a couple of open issues. I would call them very minor, and I have confidence that we'll be able to resolve them in the documents um, in the time later today or first thing tomorrow morning. But we would we believe it makes sense to go forward to get approval of the documents that are on file. Um, but everything would be subject to the parties to the documents finalizing them and agreeing on them. Okay. okay. Um, so um, as I mentioned, the, uh, the first item is conditional approval of the disclosure statement and the solicitation procedures. And the second item is approval of the backstop agreement. Mr. Carlson will go over those documents, but I'd like to give just an overview of where we are and what our Chapter 11 plan is and um, the agreements we have among the parties. Okay. We do have uh, two declarations that we just filed in support of the motions, um, one from John Singh and one from Michael Groves at dockets 14.17 and 14.18. Somebody else will uh, move to admit those into evidence. And we've been filing documents for the last hours. We have like a team of associates back um, in the office filing documents as we speak to reflect the terms that have evolved in the last uh, 48 hours. Um, the deal is complicated and there are many parties. There's like several dozen backstop parties, and we have the ad hoc group of convertible note holders. So every time there's a change, there's a lot of people to reach out to. Um, just to highlight, and we do have, sorry, a presentation. Um, yeah, just got filed. Just got filed. Are you able to? Yeah. You're under a Theo Thor Heichel. you're going to have to wave your hand. A lot of a lot of boxes here. Okay, I see you. Wait. You moved. Oh, there you are. Okay. We're on this slide now. This is the overview. Um, just a few key dates, and again, Mr. Carlson will go through this in more detail, but if we get the orders approved today, we would like to commence solicitation of uh, the plan and the rights offering by Friday. Um, we would file the plan supplement on December 8th, um, voting deadline December 13th, objection deadline December 15th. And we haven't run this by chambers yet, but we would like a confirmation hearing shortly before Christmas if that's available with the hopes of uh, getting out of bankruptcy um, on January, in January. Um, today, today is a big day. The fact that we are 99.99% of the way there to an agreement in a very, very complicated um, case with many parties. Um, we um, are by, should have filed any any minute now uh, the fourth amended plan, which uh, changes the third amended plan, which had been docket uh, 1407 um, from from Friday. Um, we are very close to a restructuring support agreement, which also we expect to file on the docket. That would be between the debtors, the ad hoc note holder groups, the equity committee, and all members of the equity committee except for one. Um, we also have had for a while the support of the minor equipment lenders for our plan. Um, there are two parties that are not yet supporting the plan. I really think of them as one. One is the unsecured creditors committee. The other is B. Riley which is our dip lender, but also our largest unsecured creditor. We're taking care of them as a dip lender, so to the extent they don't support the plan, it's as an unsecured creditor, and so they're aligned with the uh, creditors committee. So uh, again, all of our secured creditors, as far as we know, support the plan, and there are many secured creditors, and the equity holders support the plan, but this one group in the middle, um, we're still working on it. We do intend to continue discussions with them. 
they were they have been part of mediation um, we have tried to reach a deal with them we do owe them um, a proposal and, and we, we do intend to give them one and uh, hopefully get to a fully consensual plan this case has also involved many other settlements that have been approved by the court over the last six months or so including a big one with Celsius and about half a dozen holders of mechanics lien claims um, your honor we wouldn't be here today without the great work of um, uh, Judge Isger, who is our mediator, who's been working with us since July in overcoming very, um, helping us overcome very difficult issues and getting, getting uh, to this day. Um, just a quick timeline uh, to take us to where we are. Um, we filed this case in December of 2022. As we explained to your honor last month, we had a status conference. We filed with an RSA mm -hmm. with the secured creditors. The market changed. We terminated that RSA. We got more time through our new dip loans. And then we worked hard with all of our parties to try to get to a deal. At Judge Jones's urging, we filed a plan uh, on June 20th, so um, almost five months ago. No one supported that plan. We began mediation, and little by little, we started um, getting agreement on our plan. So first, we entered into the equipment lender settlement. There's no real documentation to that. There's no RSA. It's just their agreement to support a plan if it includes the terms that we've included in the plan. And we're grateful for their support. They've been our, they've been our, our, our first friend, um, and we don't forget that. We did file a couple of versions of the plan in August and September. It did have the support of D. Riley, but did not have the support of the ad hoc note holder group. Um, those plans contemplated a cram up of the uh, secured notes. That's you know, approximately seven hundred million dollars in claims that we were secured claims we were seeking to cram up. Um, we were happy to get them on board again through the mediation and we announced the settlement uh, on September 19th that included the ad hoc group and the equity committee. We then worked with them and D. Riley to try to get to a deal. Um, we um, reached a, a restructuring term sheet with the ad hoc note holder group and the equity committee which we filed on October 30th. At that point, um, the Convertible note holders had agreed to provide our exit financing, taking out the need for B. Riley to do so. So that's when B. Riley um, no longer supported the plan. Um, and then we get to November, and we've been filing plans and disclosure statements as, um, as the deal evolved. Okay. Um, as a reminder of the key stakeholders, um, we have the CEO and uh, Mike Rose, our declarant here in court. Our chief legal officer is Todd Duchesne. Um, our special committee has been very involved throughout. That's Neil Goldman and Newland Youngblood. And then the rest of our, our board is listed here. Um, we've always said that this case involves five key constituents, the ad hoc note holder group, the equipment lenders, the creditors committee, D. Riley, and the equity committee. Um, and uh, we've been working with them for a year. Okay, so we um, are excited about our, our Chapter 11 plan, which will get the company out of bankruptcy. It a few highlights. Um, it incorporates a global settlement between the debtors and the RSA parties, as well as other settlements with other key stakeholders. It provides a comprehensive restructuring of the debtor's balance sheet, reducing the debtor's total debt by approximately $245 million and significantly reducing annual debt, their annual debt service. The plan would preserve in excess of 240 jobs. Very importantly, the plan provides a full recovery to all creditors other than subordinated creditors and those that have agreed to lesser treatment. 
this includes 100% of the allowed claims plus, plus post-petition interest. We know that the creditors committee um, doesn't agree that it's a full pay case, and they put their we put their position in our disclosure statement, and that will be an issue for confirmation if we can't reach a deal with them. We have a meaningful recovery to shareholders, and we have exit funding to enable us to exit the plan and fund operations going forward. First, there's a $40 million in new money being provided by convertible note holders in a first lien exit facility. And second, we have a rights offering of up to $55 million to shareholders that is backstopped currently by $37.1 million. Um, what's really great about our plan is it resolves a lot of big issues that have been um, facing us since the beginning of the case. One big one is valuation. Given the nature of this business, um, there's been a lot of disputes about valuation. Um, now everyone agrees, who's party to the plan, that the plan has an enterprise value of $1.5 billion with an expected plan equity value of $795 million. Um, we have warrants going to equity holders in case they're right that the value is higher than we've agreed. They will get compensated through those warrants. Another big issue, um, which hopefully you don't have to hear about because we resolved it, is this 2x amount. There's some unusual provisions in the convertible note holder purchase agreements that provide that under certain circumstances, the convertible notes are payable at two times principal plus interest. There's been a dispute as to whether that's payable under Chapter 11 plan, and um, our plan does resolve those issues at the claim amount. We um, talked about the funding of the plan that we've now resolved. Um, we've, this plan, unlike the other versions of the plan that we had prior to a deal with the convertible note holders, um, allows us to significantly deleverage. We no longer have to cram up $700 million in secured debt. Instead, they've agreed to equitize a significant portion of their secured claims, obviously something that we couldn't do without their consent. Um, there were various lien priority and intercreditor issues involved when B. Riley was putting in the new money. Our current plan gets rid of those issues by having uh, the convertible note holders be the, the, the primary secured creditors under both the exit facility as well as the take-back debt. Um, there were significant disagreements over the terms of the take-back debt that the convertible note holders were getting. Um, we were able to resolve, resolve those um, and, and those are all set forth in term sheet to the plan, each of the uh, uh, instruments being issued under the plan. Um, a big issue early in the case was our disputes with the equipment lenders over the value of their collateral and the size of their claims. We've been able to resolve those through the equipment lender settlements. The, the plan resolves governance, um, our new board of directors. We have both the equity committee and the convertible note holders, each selecting two members with the uh, fifth to be uh, the CEO. And then um, I'll get to this in more detail, but there were some disputes about the payment of certain fees relating to equity holders. Um, so um, those have been resolved through, uh, through our plan. Your Honor, I, I have like about a 10-minute summary of the plan. I, I know that you saw the version from Friday. Um, it hasn't changed on these issues too much. I'm happy to spend 10 minutes going through it. Or we can skip over it. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen it, and I I started going through. There was a a version, another version of the plan that was filed around two fifty one. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be another version. I think that's the past that one. 
that's the version, the last version for today. Might be the third third. They call it the third again, so it may be the solid third. Yes, that's the version that we're seeking approval of. If there are minor changes to it on the solicitation version, we'll get all the parties to consent to that. Okay. Perfect. So we don't need to go through these slides. We'll jump to slide 18 just to show you the equity split. This is a slide from our disclosure statement. I think it's interesting, especially the last two lines. It just shows you that both the equity holders and the convertible note holders have significant equity ownerships in the company going forward. And it's a huge, again, accomplishment that we were able to get them to agree on the plan. And then my last slide is slide 19. Again, we have an RSA. It is very standard in that the convertible note holders and the equity committee agree to support the plan. We have milestones that are tight but not too tight and consent rights for parties over the documents. We also have a fiduciary out for both the debtors and the equity committee. But the RSA gives us a clear path to emergence. And we were going to file a form of the RSA in the last hour or so, but we'll get that on file. And that's all I had in terms of background before turning it over to Mr. Carlson to get through the specific request for today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Cliff Carlson on behalf of the debtors. Your Honor, before I go through the evidence that we'd like to introduce, is there anyone else you'd like to hear from before we move forward with the evidentiary? No. Let's just get right to it. So, Your Honor, we filed our witness and exhibit list at docket number 1420. That's our amended one. This morning we filed two declarations. One declaration is from John Singh from PJT in support of the backstop motion. The other one is of Michael Brose from the company in support of both our disclosure statement, our conditional disclosure statement motion, and the backstop as well. So we'd like to move to introduce exhibits 1 through 13 here. Six and seven are the declarations. Any objection to the admission of any of the requested documents into evidence? Just take a quick look here. Mr. Carlson, just online. Okay. They're admitted. So, Your Honor, I'm going to start with just an overview of the rights offering and the backstop commitment to walk you through how that works here. So, Your Honor, we have a $55 million equity rights offering that we plan to launch following approval of the disclosure statement order and the backstop approval motion. That's going to be available, the rights offering, to all existing equity holders. And there'll be opportunity to purchase new common interests at a 30% discount to plan equity value. 
um, and included as part of that equity rights offering procedures, there's going to be subscription rights and over subscription rights to the extent some of the subscription rights are, are not fully subscribed. Um, Your Honor, we, um, we have two, and I should take a step back, we have two sources of, of capital that um, is going to fund our Chapter 11 plan. We've got the $55 million equity rights offering that um, is, is backstopped by 31 individuals um, up to $37.1 million is the amount of backstop commitment. And then we have a separate um, commitment that we're, we're finalizing with our convertible note holders or a subset of that group to provide for $40 million of, of new money in, in a delayed draw term loan. Um, as part of the, the backstop commitment that we've negotiated, I think the evidence that will show or that shows in, in Mr. Singh's um, declaration that um, you know, PJT ran a fulsome process. They went far and wide. They, um, you know, we entered into the mediation stage of these cases in July. We were able to negotiate um, a value maximizing uh, transaction that, that resolved a number of issues as Ms. Ms. Berkovich went through, including a $1.5 billion uh, enterprise value and a number of other issues with respect to claim amounts. Um, and we also, in, in parallel, we're running a process to try to raise equity rights offering, equity rights um, raise. And the only, um, you know, only actionable form of equity um, that we were able to raise um, was um, the $37 million in commitments, at least, at least to, to backstop and fund this, this plan at this valuation as part of the settlement. Um, and so we think that it's, it's in the reasonable, it's in the best interest of the company um, it provides certainty. It allows us to, to implement that plan. Um, it, it provides the, the, the debtors with sufficient liquidity, you know, along with the exit facility to, to move forward and um, fund the plan and, and uh, address its post-emergence cap post capital needs. Uh, we think that, um, you know, in addition, you know, this, this, what's unique about this is that it's a, it's a backstop commitment um, provided by 31 individuals. These are all, or, or, I'm sorry, 31 parties. These are primarily hold, uh, existing equity holders. Um, there um, there um, are protections that we've negotiated and rights to make sure that this is, um, you know, this is actionable and, and if somebody, somebody is in default, we have, we have remedies. Number one, we're um, requiring that uh, each party put in a, a deposit of 10% of their, of their commitment um, within three days of entry, three business days of entry of the backstop order. We've also negotiated a number of other enforcement remedies um, that um, we will, um, that you know, including um, the ability to withhold equity distributions under the plan to the extent of the default. Um, we think the the terms that under, we under which we were able to negotiate the backstop commitment are, are very favor are favorable to the company, although the um, commitment premium is on the high end of the range. It, it provides for a twenty percent uh, commitment premium payable in shares on the effective date. Uh, the termination payment in this case is quite limited. It's only about $1.85 million, and it's only payable in very limited circumstances where um, um, where there's a, a either we miss we miss the outside date uh, in February um, or other other circumstances where there's a breach by the debtors. Um, so we think we think that the terms are are, are favorable. Um, and um, you know, one thing we did want to flag, we did make some amendments to the form of the backstop commitment letter and term sheet that we filed as a supplement early this morning. Um, 
those changes are well, threefold. One is we, we, we clarified the way the backstop commitment works. It backstops um, the first $37 million of the equity rights offering. So if we were able to raise $37 million, um, any, any, um, you know, then there will not be uh, a backstop commitment. It falls away after 37.1. Um, second is we removed a procedure um, that would allow for additional backstop parties to come in. And then finally, we're, we're engaging um, an information agent to help to help uh, facilitate the, the the rights offering. Um, you know, these were these were changes that were negotiated that were required as part of the commitments that we received, and so we thought they were reasonable and appropriate under the circumstances. So, Your Honor, that's that's the presentation on the backstop on the on the rights offering. I don't know if you have any questions. If not, I'll move on to the disclosure statement. No, why don't we just. Uh... Why don't we take them one by one? Um, let me just see if anyone has wishes to be heard in connection with the backstop motion. Good afternoon, Your Honor. David Meyer of Vincent and Elkins on behalf of the Equity Committee. Good afternoon. Uh, a couple quick remarks. Um, largely, we'll echo Ms. Berkovich and Mr. Carlson's comments. Um, First, uh, we're close on the 99.99%, I believe, um, of being a definitive documentation. Uh, but you know, I think there's an accurate characterization from the company's perspective, a lot of hard work that's gone in over the last several days and weeks, or for that matter, and greatly appreciate Judge Isger's efforts on that front as well. Um, Your Honor, I think we often, in your courtroom and others, will refer to stakeholders stepping up uh, to defend their position in the form of a new capital raise. And, and to say this is a unique capital raise process, Your Honor, would truly be an understatement. Um, it's the Equity Committee that spearheaded the initiative to raise the $37.1 million in backstop commitments from 31 parties. That includes members of the Equity Committee, as well as other equity holders. And as Mr. Carlson noted, the vast majority of those folks are, are individuals. I think of it almost, Your Honor, as a form of crowdfunding, um, is how it might be described, reflecting the enthusiasm from equity holders of getting a deal closer to the finish line and helping the company emerge uh, from bankruptcy. We've negotiated closely with the company and coordinated on the revised deal terms, and we're cautiously optimistic based on the revised backstop commitment that their equity rights offering is going to be successful. So in sum, Your Honor, and to the equity holders that may be listening today, I agree with Ms. Berkovich that today is an important day for the company, as well as the company's equity holders. It's been a difficult path and journey for the company's equity holders, but we believe the key stakeholders are positioned to work together as partners to facilitate confirmation and exit from Chapter 11 on the timeline the company has Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Anyone else wish to be heard? Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, John Mandola, again, of uh, Chote Hall and Stewart on behalf of B. Riley. Um, so the backstop and the disclosure statement are, of course, intertwined, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't want to take up a lot of time. Um, but I did want to note our growing concern, I guess, on sort of the scheduling issues that are going into this process. It's uh, very much understand this is a complicated case and this is evolving, but it's very difficult to judge exactly where we are um, given these, uh, we still haven't seen a signed backstop, we don't know fully who's participating in it. So m mo most of my comments today are really echoing what was raised by the committee in their response last night, Your Honor, um, going to the feasibility of the plan um, and also, like I said, a growing concern about the schedule. Uh, with the holidays rushing upon us and the like, Your Honor. So 
they may go more to the disclosure statement, but since you asked to take them one at a time, that's what I really wanted to raise, Your Honor. So I, I anticipate um, the folks representing the committee will want to speak. But I, I did want to note, it's really tough for my client to know quite where we are, you know, given that um, there are still documents sort of being filed right now, Your Honor. Yeah, understood. Thank you. Anyone else? Let me turn to the phone line. Anyone on the phone line wish to be heard? If you do, please hit five star. Just unmuted a 212 number. You wish to be heard in connection with the backstop. Yes, Your Honor. This is uh, Todd Gorin from Wilkie Farring Gallagher on behalf of the committee. Can you yeah. hear me okay? Just fine. Okay, great. Uh, first, I'd like to apologize for not being there. Mr. Miller and I were on a plane this morning uh, scheduled to arrive several hours before and uh, pulled out of the gate and then uh, immediately pulled back to the gate due to mechanical <laughs> issues. So, not a problem. Uh, I'm glad you're okay. Did not make it down. Um, so, I, I, similar to Mr. Vintola, I think we'll, we'll have more to say around the disclosure statement. Uh, for purposes of this, uh, you know, we're not objecting uh, to the backstop motion. Uh, we understand the need to move forward here. Uh, we do have some concerns around the schedule. And I'd say one thing I've learned in this case so far is when you hear a day or two, it usually means a week or two. Uh, hopefully, that's not the case with respect to finalizing these documents. But um, yeah, I think it would prudent to sort of get some outside date by which that document, those documents need to be finalized and signed uh, in order to accomplish the solicitation by Thursday. And if not, maybe there's an alternative set of dates we all need to discuss at that point. Um, as, you know, they're not done yet, and they obviously need to be done before the solicitation occurs. Thank you. Anyone else? Robert, can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Chris Hansen with Paul Hastings on behalf of the Ad Hoc Committee of Convertible Note Holders. Uh, Your Honor, I'll have some remarks in the context of the disclosure statement as well, but with respect to the backstop and the equity rights offering that surrounds it, I just wanted to note for the court that, like with the disclosure statement, the Ad Hoc Committee is still trying to work through some of the terms. There were some changes recently to the equity rights offering term and we have some requests into the debtors. Uh, our hope is that we'll be able to resolve those consensually, um, and that'll be part of the disclosure statement and confirmation process is all rolled out. We don't think that they're really major issues, but we did want to point out to the court that we're still working through that with the debtors. We don't oppose uh, approval of the backstop today uh, on the representations made to us by the debtors and the equity committee, and we're going to try to work through these issues together. So let me just then note for the record that at docket 1383 on November 3rd, uh, the debtors filed an emergency motion to enter into a backstop commitment letter agreement to approve performance obligation obligations there under. Um, I'm going to find that there's been um, proper notice and service of the motion under the circumstances. I'm going to grant emergency consideration of the motion. I believe it's appropriate. Uh, in light of where where we are today, the court considers um, the statements made on the record, and I also rely on on the declaration admitted uh, with Mr. Singh as I consider um, have w where we are. Um, the standard for uh, approval um, in the motion is is under Section 363, really, which is 
you look at Fifth Circuit case law, um, standard really is sound business and articulated sound business reasons. Uh, business judgment test is really where you are. You've got to have good sound business reasons for, for entering into it, uh, and that's the standard under 363. Um, looking at the, con the old Continental case that really uh, about 1986 came out, and the, courts, uh, the Fifth Circuit has been, been pretty consistent uh, there under looking at the standard there. Uh, when you look at the... Um, the backstop commitment letter. I, I, I agree with um, the statements made by Mr. Singh in his, in his declaration. Um, I, I think you got to look at backstop commitments um, in their totality, and you don't just kind of pinpoint isolated reasons uh, one way or the other. I think you got to look at every component of it, but you got to kind of look at the total package to see really, really where you are, and you also have to kind of take a look at where the case is uh, and, and where things are, uh, and so. Um, when I consider the totality uh, of, of the entire package there, um, I got it. Uh, I think the commitment premium is kind of on the higher side, but when you look at the termination payment, it's on the lower side, and you look at the agreement uh, and kind of the consent and where, where parties stand today, uh, and I don't hear a better deal uh, on the table. And I got it. It's emergency motion, but this case has been out there for a while. Uh, I think when you look at the totality, Everything there, the debtor certainly articulating, making sound business reasons. I said, why it need, needs liquidity to get to, uh, and it needs to set a, a, a runway uh, in connection with plan confirmation. And obviously, those plan confirmation issues will get taken up at the appropriate time. Today's not that day. Today's just the day to see whether they can even begin to kind of put the pieces together uh, to create a runway uh, that would set the table for a potential plan. Uh, and there's you know, agreement between the debtors and on our committee, um, or at least no objection between on our committee or unsecured creditors, and, and there's support from an equity committee. So uh, a lot of moving pieces have come together um, here. So um, I, I'm going to find that uh, the debtor has satisfied the, uh, the test in the Fifth Circuit uh, for approval of the backstop commitment letter and to enter into it and to, to seek performance under it and to uh, afford the backstop uh, commitment parties um, to understand kind of, you know, what, they're, what they would get under the deal. Uh, and so I'm going to approve uh, that, uh, the, you know, the equity capital raise uh, as described on the parties and been articulated before the court. Um, so I'm going to grant that motion. Um, I got it. There's some moving pieces, and and if things change materially from from where we are today, then I think we all get a chance to come back and and reconsider. But based upon the representations that are before me, the forms that I have read, um, that doesn't mean that you know n insignificant or what I would call non-material tweaks can't get made. Um, but if there's something really just changed the deal, the fundamental terms of the deal. Um, then I think parties have a right to kind of come back and, and take a look at this. So subject to everyone else, subject to finalization of all the paperwork, um, in which parties will all have an opportunity to see, um, I'm going to grant um, the motion. So why don't we turn to the disclosure statement. Thank you, Your Honor. So, you're up, so we filed our amended disclosure statement. That's at docket 1421. This morning we also filed an amended form of disclosure statement order. Um, I think where we stand, and first, we're, we're only seeking conditional approval today 
um, we'll have um, we'll have a final approval of the disclosure statement heard at the combined hearing at a, at a later time. Um, the um, where I think we stand as far as objections, we've been working around the clock to try to resolve all the all the all the comments that have come in. We had three filed objections on the docket. I believe two of those three have been now withdrawn. So I think we're resolved on those two. There's one that was filed uh, by Mr. Hoffman, a, a securities litigation plaintiff. I don't know where that stands, if that's still going to be pressed. I think our view is that that objection um, either deals with plan confirmation issues or, uh, or may have misunderstood how our opt-out procedures work here and, and under the plan um, and how third-party, the, the, uh, the third-party releases work. And, and um, so those, those types of issues. But we'll, we'll hear from him, I'm sure, if there's still open issues. Um, I know the I know the uh, the UCC has um, confirmation issues as well, and I'm sure you'll hear from them. Um, but I believe we're resolved on all of our disclosure statement and solicitation procedures issues with them in the in the amended form of disclosure statement order uh, that we filed this this uh, this morning. Um, and so, Your Honor, I think we would you know we would rely on you know the the test the declaration of Mr. Rose, who's the who signed signed the disclosure statement, um, and we that's filed that um, that's our exhibit number seven. Um, I know I know folks have views on on timeline um, that we can talk through, but before that, if there's any questions you have about our procedures or our disclosure statement, I'm happy to answer them. No, 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 I read it. The only thing I, I would ask, Mr. Thompson, is I know there was a kind of the, I guess what I recall to as the third third or the solid third that was filed around 249 and the disclosure statement was filed at 251. I think I, I just want to, I don't know if there's been a red line for me to see kind of if there were any red line tweaks to the prior version just so we can, and I think I just need to see change pages only, quite frankly, um, just so everyone can kind of just see what the latest, I, I think I saw the changes, but I may have missed one. Um, we were happy. We're happy to get that on file. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I'm comfortable with where, um, at least in terms of kind of where things stand, I just need to hear from parties and see where, where things are in light of everything that got filed. So why don't I open it up first in the courtroom and then see where, where we are um, on the phone. Riley. Um, I, I, I apologize. I, I realize I made you go back there and come right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need to exercise. Um, so, Your Honor, I, I guess kind of two broad points to make. Um, as Ms. Berkovich reminded the court, B. Riley is both the dip lender and the largest unsecured creditor in this case. And the plan does contemplate uh, the payment in full of the dip um, upon emergence. Um, I would note, Your Honor, though, that our fundamental concern here is that we don't think the plan is confirmable in its current form. Uh, for the reasons set forth um, in the in the UCC's response and, and for various other reasons that you will tell me what you th what what's the unconfirmable part? The uh, we do think it violates the absolute priority rule, Your Honor, uh, because it is certainly provides. How do I make that determination with no votes? Oh, I'm not asking you to make it today, Your Honor, but I'm just uh, reflecting why I'm up speaking today. Ah, got it. So. Uh, sir, as I was trying to say, and I apologize for not being clear on that's a confirmation issue, but it does concern us. So I simply would say we reserve all our rights as a dip lender, Your Honor. I, I think what is concerning us today is the timeline. 
um, and we'll let the, the UCC's counsel speak more directly about it. But as I understand it, they're planning to do discovery. Um, and we are on an, a remarkably short time frame, I think, given the complexity of the case and, the, and kind of the moving targets we're firing at, Your Honor. So um, I know the committee reserved the right to challenge the timeline after the fact. We're, we're not trying to get in the way of the debtor's process here, Your Honor. We, we understand there's value in the case moving along. But um, we, we are concerned about that, I would say, a great deal. And then the last thing I just want to say briefly, Your Honor, is uh, my client has been very supportive of the debtor throughout this process. We have a very good relationship with Ms. Berkovich and her team. And we know people are working around the clock, and we respect that. But we've been waiting for quite a while now for a response to some, um, some offers that were made before. We're eager to get that and engage with the debtor on it. And we just note, Your Honor, Ms. Berkovich made a point earlier that um, we're not supporting the plan because we, we're not the exit lender. And I would just respectfully note, Your Honor, that that's not why we have concerns about the plan. We were committed to provide the exit financing and still would be interested in providing, but that's not why we're concerned right now about the plan. It's because we don't agree with the treatment of, of our claim. Um, so I just wanted to note that for the record, Your Honor. But again, we are eager to work with the debtor and its professionals to try to resolve this. And if we can't, we'll deal with it at confirmation. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you, Your Honor. Anyone else wish to be heard in the courtroom? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Brian Lowen from Arnold and Porter on behalf of Barings. Good afternoon. Um, Barings is an equipment lender, and all the, although the equipment lender is never formally organized, uh, we have, there's about a half dozen or so equipment lenders. We have individually and collectively tried to be a constructive partner of the debtors throughout these cases, including by streamlining presentations to this court and negotiating uh, the, the deal Ms. Berkowitz mentioned at the, at the top of the line. So while I rise on behalf of Barings, <clears throat> I think my, uh, my comments and thoughts echo those of the equipment lenders generally. Um, I do want to uh, thank Ms. Berkowitz for her comments that we were the debtors for friends. And it's, it really has been a great, great friendship. And I don't want to uh, bury the lead. We very much support uh, the various relief being sought today, um, as well as the company's exit from bankruptcy uh, on the debtors' proposed timeline. We also very much appreciate the hard work Ms. Berkowitz and her team, uh, the PJT team, but, and there is a but, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Um, as Ms. Berkowitz alluded to at the top of the hearing, there's a lot of moving pieces um, in the documents. And that is the source of some concern, and I don't think it's insurmountable concern. We've raised concerns with the WILD team, and I hope that's part of the discussions that are going to take place over the next, uh, next couple of days to kind of um, clean up the and I, I just I think the best way to characterize our concern over the evolution of the documents is as follows. We reached a deal, and that deal is memorialized in the term sheet attached to the plan. The equipment lenders vote on the plan is being solicited based on that deal. The equipment lenders are being asked to make certain decisions regarding their plan tape treatment based on the deal and the equipment lender term sheet and the overall plan. We expect, and frankly, the plan is solicited on the basis that deal in the equipment lender term sheet is going to be the deal at confirmation and on the effective date. Between now and confirmation, we are going to negotiate the definitive docs in good faith based on the deal in the equipment lender term sheet. And if others try to change the deal in the equipment lender term sheet or use consent rights in a way that modifies the equipment lender's deal without our consent, 
we will be raising those issues at our prior confirmation. Of course, we hope that doesn't happen. I didn't. I, I was reluctant to raise uh, to rise and, and make that make that statement given the. Model. You don't want to get retraded. I got it. Right, but all that being said, Your Honor, we very much support and appreciate the debtors' uh, work that's gone into it, their friendship throughout the cases, um, and we, we hope that we uh, we don't have to be before this court. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in the courtroom wish to be heard? With that, I'll turn on anyone online. Wish to be heard. Yes, Your Honor. It's uh, Philip Kim, Rosen Law Firm for uh, lead plaintiff Morgan Hoffman in the securities litigation. Yes, sir. Um, you know, our objection is based on the idea that the plan is not confirmable to the extent that it releases uh, these third-party claims. Um, you know, in our class action, uh, our case was filed pre-petition. We have claims against 15 defendants who are uh, non-debtors. Uh, the debtor in this case had never moved to intervene to stay our case. Uh, that case is being litigated. Uh, through their silence, it's become clear by taking no action in our case that the participation of the third parties in our class action has any impact in the Chapter 11 case. None whatsoever. Um, and I, I think that uh, is very important because in the context of third-party releases, there actually has to be some sort of consideration. These 15 defendants, um, six of whom were not even directors and officers of Core Scientific, they were directors and officers of the SPAC entity back in 2021, uh, are providing no consideration. There's nothing in the disclosure statement uh, indicating the reasons for these third-party releases uh, no consideration. Uh, it, it's, it appears it, that these releases are just gratuitous. They're just providing these releases, these get-out-of-jail-free cards of the securities claim uh, for absolutely no consideration. Can't, There's exciting no there, case there, law, no authority, Your Honor. Isn't there an opt-out? Uh, well, they've set forth an opt-out procedure, but if we take it a step back, Your Honor, the court even with defendants' arguments as to our class treatment motion, uh, which is set for here on December 6th, they've taken the position that effectively those class members who have these third-party claims, the court has no jurisdiction over, right? We're here because we filed the class proof of claim because we're appointed lead plaintiff and lead counsel. We have that authority. In response to that, the debtor's position is, well, you're only here uh, on the basis of your individual status, not on behalf of the putative class. So when it comes to uh, objecting to our claim and our right to opt out, if, if that's what we need to do, um, they take the position that with respect to the third-party release, well, that impacts everyone, right? They're effectively getting a class treatment on these third-party claims to which they say to us, hey, you have no standing to speak for these folks, despite the fact that the district court has appointed us lead counsel and lead plaintiff uh, to speak for the putative class. Um, and, you know, if you take it, if you look at the disclosure statement, it's completely silent on it. We've been waving our arms through our various filings saying, what is the consideration? I've sat through two PowerPoint presentations. There was a status conference. There was a presentation today. There's nothing uh, in those presentations that said, hey, this, the release of the third party claims in the class action 
is a critical piece to get this deal done. In fact, it isn't. I think the silence uh, speaks wonders, and it's their burden. It's their burden to apply these third-party releases. This isn't like the Sackler family putting up $6.5 billion, right? These defendants have put up nothing. So there's no basis to let the solicitation process go through to our investors, to our class. Um, and, you know, if you actually look at the notice program that they're proposing, we have problems with the timing. Uh, I know there's been sort of a flurry of filings and, and numerous changes, and, you know, this is sort of very compressed and I would say unprecedented. But if you look at their ballot, Exhibit 9, it seems to suggest um, that class members who have these third-party claims may actually get a recovery. But in fact, the plan itself says that they will get nothing. So the ballot itself that's supposed to go out to our investors is misleading. It's not written in plain language. It is securities class action. Under the PSLRA, notice to investors have to be written in plain language and has to contain all the relevant information. So the ballot itself is inappropriate. Secondly, the notice program that they're suggesting, right, they say that they're going to provide notice to people between January 3rd, 2022 to December 20th of 2022. The class period in our case starts December 7th, 2021. Our case not only includes common stock, but it includes warrants, stock options, and the stock of the SPAC entity. So there's not going to be appropriate notice to people if the case gets to the point where they need to solicit votes. The other aspect of it, they make much ado about the fact, well, you know, when we put out the bar order, we received 30 proofs of claim. Aha. Therefore, that's appropriate notice. If I went to Judge Ezra with a settlement or class certification or something of that nature, and we've only had 30 claimants, he would, out of hand, tell us to reissue notice, right? This is a case, during our class period, there were 1.6 billion shares traded, B with a billion. The fact that you would get 30 responses uh, in response to that is on its face, shows that the notice program is inappropriate, ineffective, and improper. I would say that it, it, it's probably because it went out to the wrong people and or whatever went out was not in plain language. So I think on those grounds, Your Honor, uh, there's, no, there's no basis to let this go forward uh, with these third-party releases, particularly as to the class. And I'll add one more point, Your Honor. What further complicates this is the fact that under the PSLRA, we were required to issue a notice to investors. And as far as investors know, their claims are moving forward, which they are, right? The debtor never moved to stay those claims. They're moving forward, and they believe, as with other securities class actions, that we are protecting their claims. I've had a number of cases where the issuer's, issuer has filed bankruptcy, um, but I've never seen anything like this, where they're trying to cram down this third-party release basically extinguishing the claims of shareholders against those folks responsible, responsible for causing this entire situation. So uh, the other aspect I'd like to point out is the compressed timeline. So according to their filing, I was looking 
they're suggesting that notice process begin on November 17th or soon thereafter. That's their language. And then they say that folks need to opt out by December 13th. Now, you're talking about a class in our class of potentially tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps. And for them to collect all those names, to mail out those forms, to skip trace, to do the type of notice that I'm required to do, Your Honor, in a securities case governed by the PSRA, it will take more than a month. Ordinarily, you get 45 days from the notice date uh, for people to submit opt-outs, objections, and responses. Here, they're suggesting less than 30, and we don't even know when the notice date's going to be because they say soon thereafter. And the period that they have does not even have the period that we have. So, Your Honor, I think there's an easy way out for the debtor. They're, they don't need us. They don't need to release the securities claims. The securities claims are being defended. Uh, presumably, there's a DNO tower out there. Those proceeds are not access to the estate. They're defending the claim. And they just don't meet us. And we've, we've asked them on numerous occasions, why are you doing this? What is the consideration? They f- fell on deaf ears. And as to this notion that people are working collectively or cooperatively, we had one conversation with the debtor's counsel, and they've ignored us since. So there hasn't been, you know, this kumbaya um, sort of moment with us. I think what they're trying to do is just trying to get uh, this gratuitous release, and it should not be allowed. Our securities class action claims um, should not be impacted by any of this language uh, in the plan, Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that, unless the court has any questions. No, thank you very much. Anyone else wish to be heard on the phone? Your Honor, good afternoon. Jason Murrell from the United States Trustee's Office. Just real briefly, I, I do have a, just a concern, uh, given all the moving pieces with the timeline that's proposed by the debtors. Uh, I mean, if all the pieces come together, perhaps it works. But if it flips, I think we do need to have maybe a little bit more firm date of when the solicitation mailing deadline is going to be. I mean, if it goes much beyond November 17th, then then we really are kind of affecting even outside of what Mr. Kim was, was uh, you know, raising with the court, um, just the rights of the parties that usually they're typically afforded under the code. So, Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, Your Honor. Chris Hansen with Paul Hastings on behalf of the Ad Hoc Committee of Note Holders. Um, Your Honor, as we noted before, the Ad Hoc Committee still has a few open issues, uh, principally relating to the the terms of the various tranches of secured debt that are being distributed to the members of the Ad Hoc Committee under the plan. We're still trying to work through those with the debtors. Um, We don't believe that resolution of those issues, as well as resolution of the issues around the equity rights offering and the backstop are going to result in the need for the court to provide any additional conditional approval of the disclosure statement. Um, and we expect to work with the debtors in the equity committee to arrive at an agreement. And we can simply supplement the record with respect to those changes as we move forward. I uh, also want to make the court aware that the members of the ad hoc committee have not yet executed restructuring support agreements. Uh, we, because of the open issues that we have, we hope and expect to be able to do that upon the satisfactory resolution of those issues. 
uh, but also note that, you know, the equipment lenders made their point that their deal is their deal, our deal is our deal. So uh, to the extent that some of those deals wind up overlapping with each other, I think the parties are going to do their best to work together to synthesize them to protect the integrity, especially of the side of the equipment lender deal. But, uh, you know, we'll cross all those bridges when we get there and hopefully arrive at a solution to confirmation. And if we don't, uh, you know, we'll see where we are at that point. Thank you. Just fine. Okay. Uh, the committee filed a statement at docket number 1414 setting forth uh, our, our position regarding the plan and voting. I think it's important to note that when Ms. Hardy, my partner, stood before you on October 23rd, uh, she said that three days, or three days before that, we had made a proposal to the plan parties about a potential settlement of the issues that the unsecured creditors have. It is now 20 five days later and we do not have a response. We understand that the parties are working hard. We've seen the documents flying overnight and through the day. And I'm not sure if we're in the point zero one that Ms. Bergovich noted that is, is left open, but the fact is that we are eighty one point four million dollars of claims that are sandwiched between the convertible notes and equity. And that as uh, number of parties have raised. This is a pay-in-full plan, uh, and in order to pay in full, uh, there needs to be some an examination of the current plan uh, to figure out whether that's the case here or not, based upon what I would call some rather unique provisions in terms of the distributions that are going to the convertible note holders and to equity. Um, the debtors have said to us that they hope to get us a proposal this week, but we've been hearing that now for almost four weeks. So we are we are here, we are open for business, and, and we're very concerned about the scheduling, as has been noted a couple of times by various different parties here. There's a lot of moving parts here to get to a confirmable plan. Um, we are not here to throw ourselves at the mercy of the court to say this is patently unconfirmable and don't solicit it, because we do understand the need to move forward understand the need to reorganize. But the fact is that if things, as the U.S. trustee just said, don't go right in the next three days, we're going to be back before you with some other plan, perhaps, and some other disclosure statement. And if you don't end up with a deal with the convertible note holders and you don't end up with final deals with the equity holders and signed documents regarding the rights offering, we're again, we're going to go off, off track and we're not going to be back here pre-Christmas for confirmation. Um, as Riley's counsel did mention, stole my thunder, the committee does intend, if we don't reach a deal, to uh, quickly uh, seek discovery of the parties regarding the valuation of the various uh, distrib distributable uh, currency going to the, the different parties, um, and we will try to do that on an expedited basis, but assuming uh, that the parties come back and say that it's too broad, etc., we'll be back before you after a meeting confer on a discovery conference and hope that uh, we can get that done quickly. But again, the committee doesn't want to hold things up. We just see way too many moving parts. Thank you. The committee represents, the committee and B. Riley represent eight, about 80% of class eight. Uh, our recommendation to unsecured creditors is to vote against the plan for all the reasons set forth in the disclosure.
both your statement insert as well as our statement. And, um, Your Honor, we will be back to you if we don't get the proper uh, responses from the parties and, and we're not at the table to get something done and see if we can work something out consensually. It'll be a contested confirmation hearing, which uh, everyone would like to avoid, but you got to talk to us first. So. So, Mr. Carlson, let me ask you, in terms of the docs, when do you anticipate getting everything done? And just so I can consider that in light of the timeline that you're proposing. Yeah. So, Your Honor, I think I think we're a, a <clears throat> year or two away from being final, if, if that, with the with the ad hoc note holder group and um, and the equity committee on our RSA. Um, and so we think, as as Ms. Berkovich said, we are 0.01 percent away. So when would you contemplate commencing solicitation? We'd like to by the end of this week. If we, if I think if, if it's acceptable to the court, what we propose is if we're not on track to to meet our mailing deadline and solicitation, we can come back to the court. Um, but we do we do want to stick to the timeline that we've um, proposed in our disclosure statement motion and. Feel like we're uh, we're on the one yard line here. All right, let me take a look at something. Okay, so let me just say then, then for the court is request for conditional approval of a dis disclosure statement uh, and so related solicitation procedures. Um, again, I'm granting emergency consideration of the relief requested. I'm going to find that there's been proper notice in service for purposes of today. Um, What's being requested is conditional approval of the disclosure statement, which means that the debtors are asking the court to allow you know, solicitation to commence on a proposed plan um, and essentially running a final deferral, final approval of the disclosure statement until a combined hearing where the court would consider final approval of the disclosure statement and uh, confirmation of the plan um, at the same time so the debtor kind of runs the risk if you will um, that the court could later at a final hearing find that there was not adequate uh, information um, and so um, that, that, that's kind of what I'm being asked to consider it with respect to the disclosure statement um, but then also there are related procedures and I think I've heard um, the comments from the parties and I've considered them all 
Um, and, and so here's kind of what I'm going to rule. Um, you know, the, I think even though the court is asked to kind of approve things on a, on a conditional basis, I still think the court um, has to at least give a preliminary analysis as to whether there's adequate information within the meaning of Section 1125 of the Bankruptcy Code, which requires adequate information uh, to enable a, either a creditor or an equity security holder to make an informed decision as to whether to accept or reject a, a plan. And so I've read the, the disclosure statement, um, and I do find on a preliminary basis that on its face there's adequate information uh, within the meeting of Section 1125. Um, there's certainly uh, information about the background, the plan, the proposed treatment. Parties can disagree about their proposed treatment and whether plan confirmation, you know, the, whether it satisfies 1129 of the, of the code. But I think we... Based from what the objections that I've heard, potential objections, um, and I appreciate the warnings, um, you know, issues about absolute priority, issues about uh, approval of, you know, whether the releases will be granted uh, and, and who the parties would be subject to the releases. I think those are all plan confirmation issues there. I do know that there's some other objections that I'm going to have to deal with in connection that would, I think, crystallize the issues with respect to uh, the securities. Uh, Mr. Hoffman, I think I've got hearings on December the 6th and uh, and and later on that I think are going to further crystallize, and I make no ruling one way or the other of us about the way that goes. I just think it's going to further crystallize the issues there as to whether um, kind of where things go there. So I'm going to um, conditionally approve the disclosure statement as having the uh, adequate information within the meaning of Section 1125. Uh, I, I've reviewed the proposed solicitation procedures and ballots there. Uh, I'm going to hold the debtor to their timeline. You want to go, you want a hearing on December 22nd, you're going to get it. You want a hearing on December 21st um, with respect to 3D Sphere, right? That's more work for y'all. If you want it, you'll have it um, uh, unless something changes from there. I'm going to hold the debtor to um, the timeline. Um, you know, your associates, don't blame me. Um, that's, um, that's not on me, but I'll be here. Uh, and, and, and I think I promised the parties um, that I became affiliated that um, that I would hold this case to the same to the same timeline. Uh, it was contemplated there, and I think that's what I'm doing. So I'm not slowing anything down. I'll be re I'm ready to go now. Uh, I'm fully up to speed as to kind of where where we're going in connection with this case, um, and I fully understand the timeline and and the many moving pieces that the parties are describing. So I really do appreciate where, where things are. So uh, I'm going to approve it. Mr. Carlson, what I would tell you is, um, and I got it, there's a lot of papers that need to get tightened up. If if the claims agent can't, if the solicitation agent can't start soliciting by Monday, we, we got to talk on Monday afternoon at some point, right? And so that means, uh, and Monday, I don't mean, you know, Monday at Midnight. I think you know we we got to have a conversation sometime Monday afternoon and and revisit uh, any order that I would sign today if solicitation can't start. So so really what I'm hoping is that solicitation would start by no later than um, you know quite frankly Saturday or, or Monday morning at the latest. If that's not the case, then we're going to have to have a conversation and, and revisit whether whether the timeline still works or not. So um, you know and if solicitation has started. I want to know over the weekend if if it started. Um, so, I think that gives everyone uh, the transparency that we need. And I think you know, if, don't know what my schedule looks like on Monday. Let me just take a look. Now, we can just pencil something in. 
And simply, uh, 4.30 p.m. Houston time. Proposed signing. If, if solicitation has started, I don't, we don't need to have, but if something, or something, the deal breaks down, right? You don't have a deal until, until you have a deal. Um, so if things break down or if there's a need to have a further conversation, we'll have it on Monday at 4.30. I know I've got some other stuff as well um, uh, well let me see Judge Saldana is telling me I could do 2.30 as well um, well yeah she's right maybe let's do 2.30 Houston time 2.30 Houston time if we need to have a conversation uh, there uh, we'll fit it in Monday November 20th, yes, I should say dates too, right? Uh, November 20th at 2.30 p.m. would be the required status conference. But if something gets filed, a solicitation has started, then I'm just, you know, your notice will trigger the cancellation of, of where we are. I think everyone's rights are preserved. Um, everyone's rights are preserved on a final. Um, do I need to give you a final confirmation hearing on December 22nd? Uh, yeah, yes, Your Honor. That should be in the um, proposed form of order. Yeah. We don't have a time in there, but. Um, I'm going to give you. Yeah, let's start at 10 a.m. Central. I think if I started at like 4 p.m., I. I would put, be putting the squeeze on all of you, but I'm, I'm not going to be cruel. I want to give everyone a fair opportunity to, as I, I take the issues, and people need a, a full, and so there'll be nothing. We'll start at 10 a.m. Central Time on December 22nd, and we'll, 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 we'll give it as much time as necessary. Um, but I do encourage the parties to continue to talk, and parties are saying they're not getting phone calls. Someone needs to reach out. But I don't want to get in the middle of all that. Um, we'll just see where we are. Maybe Monday, maybe on the 22nd. Uh, I know that there are a number of matters that be, you know, we're, we'll be talking before that um, in some other matters, and we'll take those issues up in due course. So um, I wish everyone a good day. Uh, Mr. Carson, in terms of the proposed order, what am, is there, are they, do I need to just fill in dates? Is that what I'm doing, or are there? The one, yeah, that's great, Your Honor. The one we filed at 1416, we're, we're happy to upload or revise with the, with the, the time. No, no, I think I can pull that off. Okay. Um, but so is Bax, can I, is, is Backstop ready for me to sign as well? That order? The Backstop is as well uh, that we filed at. We may need to upload a revised form of order for that, um, Your Honor. We were moving quickly, so. Yeah, why don't I'll, I'll sign disclosure statement at the um, at the date for plan confirmation, and again, I'll get that on. I'll get that signed, and then you upload a revised order for backstop, and then 
let Miss Saldana know when that's up, and I'll take a look at it. But again, circulate it to whoever needs it. Okay. All right, folks. Thank you very much. Have a good day.